you have your Bibles handy or your devices, please take them out at this time and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we've been following a theme this past year, focusing on the promised gift, which is the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, who is the one who guides the church in its mission, the one who lifts up and exalts Christ, and the one who guides us into all truth. Presently, with our theme for the year focusing on the Holy Spirit, and with these unprecedented times that we find ourselves living in, with the COVID-19 pandemic, all the political tensions that are all going to come to a head now in 51 days, either way, on November 3rd, and with all of the rioting that's been going on and the looting and the social unrest and the protesting uh, that's been happening in our culture and people's varying viewpoints on all of these things, our church leaders felt that it would be good a good time to have a sermon series on overcoming the world based upon a theme from first sam first john excuse me chapter 5 verse 4 for everyone born of god overcomes the world life is hard sometimes it feels like the world's falling apart all around us and it seems like we cannot take it anymore sometimes we wonder what kind of world are our children or our grandchildren going to grow up in but no matter what the world may throw at us no matter how much fear comes our way or anxiety or heartache or temptation or pain or disappointment or anything like that, we always have a choice as Christians, as followers of Jesus in how we will respond. We can simply give up and surrender to the world or we can live in the victory that God offers to us. Yes, we all like victory and we would easily choose victory, but are we ready to walk in it every single day are we ready to stand up to our enemies that the bible tells us come in three different forms our own flesh our own bodies and our own desires and lust and the world around us the fallen broken world and the devil himself are we ready to stand up in jesus name to overcome this fallen broken sinful world every single day of our lives See, what would happen if we faced all of life's challenges in the name of the Lord? What would our lives be like if we faced all of our problems through Christ? What would our lives be like if we made it our goal in every single situation to strive to bring glory to God's name? What would happen if we really, truly followed God's steps to victory? If we truly kept in step with the Holy Spirit, like Galatians 5.16 instructs us to. We would be, you know what we'd be? We'd be overcomers, what we've been singing about this morning. We would be, as Romans 8.37 says, more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, we do not have to live our lives in fear, no matter what happens in this world. We do not have to be overwhelmed by disappointment or taken captive by anxiety, no matter what may occur in any coming election. And we do not have to be captured by heartache to the point of emotional paralysis and despair just because things don't seem to break for us the way we think they should. We can overcome this world because overcoming the world is a spiritual issue. In 1 Corinthians 15, 57, the Apostle Paul said, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Four chapters later in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, which is actually going to be the text for next week's sermon, it says, but thanks be to God, 
who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. We are conquerors, you hear that? We're victors, we're overcomers who get to pass on the amazing knowledge of our God to others. Now, in this sermon series that we're having for the next 11 weeks, we're gonna spend a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, a passage that talks about putting on the full armor of God. And the whole point of doing that is so that we can take a stand against the devil's schemes in this world. See, God has equipped us to overcome any barriers that we encounter in our spiritual lives. Now, in today's message, uh, before we get to Ephesians 6 in the coming weeks, we're going to look at arguably the greatest overcomer in the Old Testament, and that being, of course, David. Now, David had been anointed as the king of Israel, but he had not yet assumed that role as Saul was still on the throne. And the account that we're looking at today is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, where David was still a teenage boy. He was a shepherd boy, and he takes on the Philistine champion warrior named Goliath. Let me read the first 10 verses of that chapter for you. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkah in Judah. The, they pitched camp at the Ephes de Min uh, between Sukkah and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs were bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you not come out and line up and for battle? And I am not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day, I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Goliath was from Gath, a well-known Old Testament city. And if you may recall, when the spies had returned from checking out the promised land, they had come back to Moses with a terrifying report that there were giants over in this region near Gath. And they said, we were like grasshoppers to them. Grasshoppers. The champion fighting man Goliath was six cubits in a span. That that's a cubit is 18 inches, and a span was believed to be half of that. Nine feet, nine inches tall, nearly twice the height of David because an average Israelite man at the time was five foot tall. And think of this, Goliath was over three foot taller than the average national basketball player right now, professional player in America. Three and a half feet taller than the average NFL player that you will see out there playing on TV today. And it is believed that Goliath would have weighed well over 400 pounds. In fact, probably closer to 500 pounds. And including his armor and weapons, he would have been uh, above 600 pounds. They think closer to 700 pounds 
on foot. And David with no armor and soaking wet at five foot tall probably tipped the scales at 120 pounds. We're talking about someone who is five times the size of David. Now imagine that sight of Goliath coming out and taunting the armies of Israel, blaspheming their God every morning and every evening for six consecutive weeks. Listen to what Malcolm Gladwell says in his book, David and Goliath, underdogs, misfits, and the art of battling giants. To protect himself against blows to the body, Goliath wore an elaborate tunic made of hundreds of overlapping bronze fish-like scales. It covered his arms and reached to his knees and weighed over 100 pounds. He had bronze shin guards protecting his legs with attached bronze plates covering his feet, and he wore a metal helmet. It was a bronze helmet. In addition, he had three separate weapons, all optimal for close-range conflict. He carried on his back a thrusting javelin made entirely of bronze, which was capable of penetrating shields of armor. He carried a sword on his hip, and his primary weapon was a short-range spear with a metal shaft as thick as a weaver's rod. And he had a shield-bearer who went ahead of him. Can you understand why nobody really wanted to go out and battle him one-on-one? And besides, the stakes were high. If you lose, all of Israel loses. If Goliath wins, all of the Philistines win. And so the safest route seemed to the Israelites at this time, the Israelite army, a good old-fashioned standoff. Let's just keep staying here. That's our safest bet. And by the way, this wasn't a one-time occurrence or annoyance either. It kept going on night after night, morning after morning for 42-plus days. The same report on the evening news. Can you imagine listening to the evening news every night and hearing the same report? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Okay. You know, this is Daryl Nelson reporting from the Valley of the Law. Giant, the giant Philistine champion warrior came out today to threaten the armies of Israel, challenging them to have one man come out and fight him, but nobody has done that. For now, a month and a half now, we've seen this same thing. This is Daryl Nelson reporting from the Valley of the Law, back to you in the studio. Same news every single night. Are we getting the message here? Verse 8, it tells us that Goliath stood and shouted. That means he's yelling. He's bellowing out these threats. And I don't know what a voice of a giant sounds like, but I can imagine it was pretty terrifying. Look at verse 24 in our text. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now, this valley of a law that was between these two, this, this plain which was a battlefield, was basically the size of a football field. So it would echo and boom through that area, and people were terrified. And this, by the way, was a common ancient battle practice. If you could win a victory with minimal cost, if you put your champion against another nation's champion, you wouldn't lose all of your servants, all of your farmers, all of your you know, people who make your country go that are part of your military. You wouldn't lose all of these people. So a one-on-one contest... That was a favored way of doing battle. And of course, the Philistines believed with Goliath, they were holding the winning ticket. They had the winning lottery ticket. The numbers were there. They had them. Well, let's turn our attention now to David, who's the overcomer. Look at verse 17 with me. Now, Jesse said to his son David, 
Take this afar of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these uh, 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how the, your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and with all the men of Israel in the Valley of Allah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting their war cry. Now just notice here the character of David. He's faithful to his work, his responsibilities, his task. He's faithful to his family. He's faithful to his nation. He's faithful to the military of Israel. He's faithful, really, to his God. And verse 20 tells us that he made sure that even the sheep would be looked after in his absence. He's faithful and responsible even in the little things in life. Then verse 21 through verse 20 or verse 30. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the men, the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they've been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what, I've, now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. Everyone in the army of Israel was terrified of the giant Goliath, while David, this teenage boy, is a portrait of courage. Even when he uh, has to stand up to his older brother Eliab, who comes down on him, he shows some grit. And whenever you follow God's plan to be an overcomer in this world, one thing for certain is you are going to experience rejection. You will catch flack. You will face plenty of criticism. But David just keeps bringing the issue back to Goliath. He brings it up again. He's saying that the defiance of our God and the defiance of the army of the Almighty God cannot go unchecked like this. Now look at David's confidence, verse 31 to verse 39. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go up against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued it from the sheep, from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. 
The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Did you notice in verse 36 and verse 37 there that David's confidence and his courage was not in himself? It was in God. And with God's help, he truly believed that he could defeat the fiercest fighting man on the planet. Now, let's review here for a moment what we've been talking about. Because our passage so far has used three descriptions of Goliath here for us. It's told us about his immense size. It's told us, uh, secondly, about his military prowess and all of his weapons and how uh, intimidating all of that was. And the third thing it told us about Goliath was his terrifying, bellowing shout that it went out to the Israelites. Now, David, on the other hand, is not described for us in physical terms. David is described for us in spiritual terms. We see a portrait here of his character. We see his convictions. We see his confidence and his courage in his God. Verses 40 and 41. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with a shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He doesn't go out there with any weapons, really. He's got a shepherd paraphernalia, his staff and his shepherd's pouch and his attire that he would wear out in the field taking care of the sheep. But he does bend down in the stream, picks up five smooth stones, no weapons, no armor, no shield berry. He's bringing, as the popular Christian song, remember how that goes? Bringing a rock to a what? A sword fight. He's bringing a rock to a sword fight. That's what he's doing. Now, please understand, though, today, the significance of a sling in ancient warfare. Because there were three types of soldiers back then. There was, in the ancient world, what we would know through history, basically, as the cavalry. There were those who were on horseback, those who had chariots. They used javelins and spears and swords and some bows. And, and basically, they could charge in in a hurry and leave a battle in a hurry. Then there was also the foot soldiers. They were the ones who marched in in cadence. They're the ones who did all the hand-to-hand -hand combat. They carried shields and swords and spears. And then there were the people that tended to be in the background. They were the ones who were basically like modern forms uh, of warfare, uh, the artillery. They had bows and arrows. Some could throw javelins a great distance, and they even would be in the back. Sometimes in ancient warfare, they used catapults. And then there were the slingers, you know, the ones who could uh, take a leather pouch with either two ropes or two strands of, of leather on them and swing it around real fast and let go of one side and, and hit targets at over 200 yards uh, by doing that. Judges chapter 20, verse 16 tells us that the Benjaminites had 700 select troops who were left-handed. Each one of them could sling a stone at a hair and not miss it. Now, obviously, they're not doing that at 200 yards. 
because they can't see a hair, but still in fairly close range, they were that accurate. Well, our story continues, verse 42. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. means he disdained him. In the Hebrew, literally, he curled his lip. Okay? Verse 43. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? You know, David's out there with his shepherd's staff. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Goliath approaches David, and he curses him by the Philistine gods of Dagon and, and their other gods. And imagine what Goliath must have thought. I've been doing this for six weeks, twice a day, and you insult me like this? This is how disrespectful you are to me? You send a boy out. You send a little pipsqueak out. Is this the best you have to offer Israel? And then David further infuriates him. In verse 45, he basically says, yeah, yeah, Goliath, you look pretty impressive there in all your military regalia, but it's not going to help you. I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, whom you're defying, and you're going down today. And so is the rest of the army of the Philistines. And then verse 48 says, As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran toward him to the battle line to meet him. David ran toward him. Now imagine, if you're watching this from a distance, you're probably thinking, you know, this kid isn't real bright. You know, he's running right into javelin and spear range, okay? Just charge right in like an idiot and get yourself shish kebab. You know, you've got to give the kid credit. He's got some chutzpah. He's got, he's got some courage. Might not be the brightest bulb in the pack, but you know what? He's got courage and he's charging in. But let me tell you, folks, this was not bravado on David's part. He was getting closer to improve his chances of an accurate shot that would be much harder at close range for Goliath to avoid. Verse 49, reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. Ethan High, a ballistics expert from Israel's defense forces, recently did some calculations on the average size of a stone slung with what would be deemed as effective range, an accurate range of 35 meters, slightly under 40 yards. And the stone would be traveling at 76 miles an hour. And it would have enough force to kill someone or knock them completely unconscious if it hit them in the cranial cavity. Verses 50 and 51. So David triumphed over the Philistine. With a sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Now, what lessons do we learn today from the life of an overcomer? See, Goliath said he was going to overcome whoever went against him. But David was the real 
overcomer. You know what lessons we learn? First lesson we learn is this. Be prepared to face opposition from those who are closest to you. Do you remember David's older brother Eliab's reactions? He got real upset with his brother David, didn't he? Has that sort of thing ever happened to you? Have you ever determined to step out in faith and attempt something important to God only to be criticized by your own family members or your friends or even fellow Christians? You know, the sad reality is that those we expect would be understanding and encouraging are often just the opposite. For some people, it seems that if they're not going to succeed at something, then they don't want anybody else to succeed either. They certainly don't want you to succeed. You know, in the 1930s, Andrew Higgins ran a boat building company in New Orleans. And when America had entered World War II in 1941, Higgins tried to convince the U.S. Navy that they needed a flat-bottom, shallow-water, small landing craft. But the Navy wasn't interested. Their focus was on battleships and cruisers, destroyers, and aircraft carriers. But Higgins wouldn't take no for an answer. Well, finally, the Navy brass realized that they needed such a boat. But instead of exploring what Higgins had designed, they decided to come up with one on their own. Well, almost two years went by, and he kept bugging the Navy until they actually agreed to let him uh, compete with their design for what they called LCVPs, Landing Craft Vehicle Personnel. And it turned out, after all of that, that Higgins' design was clearly superior to anything that the Navy had come up with. And guess what happened? It turned out, just a short time later, that Higgins' boats were the ones that were used to storm the beaches at Normandy. In fact, General Dwight Eisenhower said, Andrew Jackson Higgins is the man who won the war for us. See, overcomers, they know opposition's coming. They know there's going to be rejection and there's going to be criticism. They literally come to expect it, but they still move forward in faith. You know, the second thing we learn from an overcomer in this text is that we have to maintain our focus on God. You know, in this entire passage that we just read about David and Goliath, Max Lucado notes that only two statements in this entire passage did David make about Goliath. They're found in verse 26 and verse 36. That's it. There's no inquiries whatsoever about Goliath's skill, nothing about his age, nothing about his victories. How many victories now? Is he 84 and 0 or what is he? None of that stuff. Nothing about his social standing or his intelligence. But David gives much thought to God. Nine times in this text that we just read, he talks about God. Only two times does he mention his problem, Goliath. That's nine to two. Do you tend to focus on God four times plus as much as you do on your problems in life? Yes, it's perfectly fine to talk to God about your problems. The Bible instructs us to do that. But frankly, many of us need to talk to our problems about our God. We need to proclaim the goodness of our God to our problems. We need to talk about the promise of God to them, and we need to talk about the victory of the cross and the resurrection over them. See, focusing on our God keeps our problems in perspective. Now, the third thing we, we see here that we learn from an overcomer in this text is overcomers remember past victories. You know, in verses 34 to 37, David recounted to Saul 
how God had delivered him from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. And did you notice in those texts that he didn't say that I defeated the bear and I defeated the lion? He said, the Lord delivered me. And such past victories gave David the confidence and the trust in God that he needed in his present circumstances. You know, I ran across a definition of a testimony recently that I found to be extremely profound. It says, if you've never had a test, you can never have a testimony. If you've never had a test, you can never have a testimony. If you haven't had any difficult times in your life, if you haven't had any challenges and horrific and bad things and hard things to work through, you don't have a story to tell anybody about what God's done in your life. If you've had no test, you can never have a testimony. You know, Jim Jones was five years old when his family moved from Mississippi to northern Michigan, and Jim struggled with a speech impediment, and that move in his life made it worse. So he grew up hating school because of all the students who made fun of him because of his stuttering and his speech impediment. Well, when he was a teenager, a new teacher came to school, a retired Mennonite professor who taught high school English. And Jim happened to love poetry, and he wrote it really well. So Dr. Crouch wanted him to read his poetry in class. But of course, Jim refused because he stuttered and he struggled with his speech. But one day his teacher tricked him into reading in class by saying, you know what? I don't really believe that you're writing all this poetry. I think somebody else is writing this poetry. Because if it's your poetry, you could read it. You could stand up and read it. Well, Jim went on to prove, you know, Dr. Crouch wrong. He recited the poetry beautifully with conviction. And the rhythm helped him not to stutter. Sort of like the contemporary Christian artist, Jason Gray, who has a hard time talking. In fact, Jason Gray was here in concert, right here, on this stage, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. And the opening act was some little tiny, petite little gal, this thin little, I mean, couldn't weigh 100 pounds, and she just about lifted the rafters here. Uh, someone people hadn't really heard of, a, a gal named Lauren Daigle. Now she's a worldwide star, you know, uh, one of the most popular artists. But Jason Gray, when you talk to him, he stutters. But when he plays his music, it just comes out beautifully. Well, after Jim graduated from high school, he went into the military. And when his service there ended, he went to college to study drama on the GI Bill. Today we know this man as the beloved James Earl Jones the superb African-American actor with that amazing deep voice and deep resins that just come boom out of his mouth when he speaks. And who could ever forget his voice as the original Darth Vader in the first Star Wars movie? And perhaps you've even seen the recent advertisements of his recordings of the New Testament that he was asked by people uh, you know, to produce, read the New Testament, and people can buy it and listen to it. And when he asked, he agreed to do it, but only after he dedicated it to his high school English teacher, Donald Crouch, who helped him overcome his disability and his fear of public speaking. As James Earl Jones put it, Crouch not only helped guide me to the author of the scriptures, but as the father of my resurrected voice, also helped me find abundant life. 
brothers and sisters in Christ, overcomers, remember past victories. They remember what God has done in the past so they can trust Him moving forward in the future. The fourth thing I want to suggest to you that we learn from overcomers is overcomers move toward their problems and not away from them. You know, it's simply human nature to hide or flee from our problems, to try and sweep them under the rug, to keep them as that great big secret, even though everybody else knows it's the elephant in the room. But by keeping it a secret instead of dealing with it, we think, you know, it's somehow going to go away. And you know, I've yet to meet a person in life who lives any kind of victorious Christian life while keeping their problems hidden while never dealing with them and somehow going through life pretending that these problems are just going to solve themselves. And, and if anybody else even addresses them or suggests that, you know what, maybe you should work on this or maybe you should get some therapy for this or whatever. Oh, they just get so upset. They run from their problem. David ran toward Goliath to give himself a chance of defeating the giant. He met the problem head on. As verse 48 says, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. You know, the account of David teaches us how to overcome our problems. You run toward them and confront them. You don't ignore them or just simply always try to work around them or postpone them. You face them head on and you deal with them. You know, I hope you realize today that overcoming the world is a spiritual issue. It's not a physical issue. It's a spiritual issue. 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. God has equipped us to overcome every barrier in our spiritual lives. And overcomers, they realize that overcoming the world is a spiritual issue. May God bless His proclaimed word to our hearts today. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit.